This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are studying through the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 25. Uh, We're dealing with a lot of issues and a lot of issues after the death of Abraham. And I think it's important that we actually deal with these issues just because the Bible presents them. And they are, I guess, what you call quintessential issues, issues that happen and come along in life for everyone. And by dealing with these issues, we can actually uh, see our own life and see things going on the way the way they go on really in the world that we live in genesis chapter 25 verse 19 he says this this is the genealogy of isaac remember last week we did the genealogy of ishmael this is the genealogy of isaac abraham's son knows abraham begot isaac isaac was 40 years old when he took rebecca as his wife now, we went through the whole story of uh, Rebecca, the whole story of the Spirit coming and finding Rebecca and bringing Rebecca to him. She was a young maiden, and he was 40 years old. We didn't know that. This is the first time this is mentioned. And uh, he took Rebecca as his wife at a 40 years old, which would have been fairly old back then. That being said, in that culture, both back then and today in that part of the world, this would not be an abnormal story for a man of 40 years old to take a young wife. In fact, that's a pretty regular thing over in the Middle East even today. And oftentimes we like to place our own context into our own cultural context into scripture. We like to view scripture from the lens of where we come from. And that can be even 500 miles difference can be a huge difference culturally as to how we view scripture. And what I like to do is I like to go in and when I'm studying scripture, I like to look at it and see the things that that God is doing, God is saying, the work that God's been. I like to see that and view it from with a blank plate, with a clean plate. I don't add anything. I don't take anything away. I just realized that the way it was back then. It was not too long ago in the culture that I live in, the Southern culture, where, where people had children. And when I say children nowadays, it's three or four children. That wasn't multiple children back then. Back then, I have great-grandparents, great-grandparents in my line that had as many as a dozen to 18 children. They had, and we're talking about one man and one woman having that many children. And the reason is because they were farmers. They, were, they needed children in order to, to work the farm. My grandfather was one of four children, which was a small family, very small family. When you only had one, two, or three, or four children back 100, 150 years ago, you were lacking in your help around the, around the house. You were lacking in your help on the farm. And I always make sure that I reset myself and contextualize myself 
In fact, there was a there was an election that basically turned on whether or not a man in his early twenty late twenties and early thirties should have been dating eight, seven, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds back fifty five, sixty years ago, even in this state. And apparently, many of the people in Burke didn't think that was appropriate. The problem was, it was going on in the 1950s and 60s, and as far as that culture was concerned, it was very appropriate. He had already he had already reached a place where he he had where he a profession he had made some something of himself, and it was not abnormal for mothers to want their daughters who were 16, 17, 18 years old to find a husband like him. And uh, that was not abnormal, culturally-wise. And when I see Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca as a wife, I don't think negative of it. That's not a uh, thing. But many would read it in their own cultural context and not realize that we have been spending millennia past doing many of the things that the Bible speaks about. And maybe today, culturally speaking, is the weird out-of-line day. Maybe the times we live in, are not as is not are not as progressive as we think they are. He says Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padam Awam, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now he's making sure you understand this is the Rebekah we're talking about in last chapter. He says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Notice Rebekah is barren. Now Rebekah is a picture of the church. And so when you're studying this and your Rebecca was is barren that that needs to resonate with you there are times when the church is barren there's times when the church is not seeing the movement and the plan of God going on in their midst and that's an issue that's a, that's an issue that needs to be dealt with that's an issue that needs to be handled churches ought to be dynamically serving God's people should be dynamically at work in the kingdom. The kingdom should be advancing. The kingdom should be growing. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And if you're involved in a church that has spent years and years doing nothing, years and years baptizing no one, years and years just languishing somewhere, maybe that it comes a time and a season that, that needs to change, that that needs to, you need to move on. Maybe there needs to be a shakeup in the leadership or a shake-up in the direction of the church. We so many times are okay with our churches and okay with our spiritual lives being barren. And that's not godly, and it's not good. God is a God of dynamics. He's a God of wonder. He's a God of majesty. He's a God that is at work all the time. And if he's at work all the time and there's no work going on at the church, really God's not invited to be at work in their church, in your church, or in your context, or where you're at. I never, ever want to be continually holding on to something that God's not moving in. God is wanting, he is desirous to move among his people. The question is, are his people desirous of him moving among them? And you can see here that if Rebecca is a picture of the church, then obviously Isaac is a picture of Jesus because Jesus is the bridegroom. And what is he desirous of? It says, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. Notice Isaac wants for the church to be fruitful, for the church to be multiplying, for the church to be growing. That's what Isaac wants. Isaac desires that, and I think it's important as God's people that we want the church to be vibrant, the church to be alive, the church to be growing, 
the church to have children, the church to have young people in it. Many churches nowadays are have become country clubs or community centers for a group of people that won't be here for very long. And I include myself in that number. I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and you say, you're still a young man. Speaking, yes, I am a young man. But that being said, I'm at the age where I don't have any children in my house. My children have gone off to college and gone off to build their own lives. And I don't want to be at church with no children. I, want, I don't want to I don't have any children in my house. I hope to have grandchildren one day. I'm, I'm going to plead with the Lord about that. But I don't want to be in a place where there's no life. I don't want to be in a place where there's no future. I don't want to be in a place where there's no hope. And I don't want to pastor a church that's doing that. And I'm not going. And... It's important for God's people to have an expectation of fruitfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God given to God's people, and it should be desired by God's people. It should be sought after. Now, look, God. there's times and seasons when God doesn't move. There's times and seasons when you're in, you're in the wilderness experience or you're being refined and you're going through troubles and difficulties and God is making you and he's molding you and preparing you for work. But notice, he's not, he doesn't put me through a trial. He doesn't put me through a struggle so that I can just go through it and struggle with it and then at the end not have any results from it. The whole reason for a struggle or a trial, the whole reason for the refining work of the Holy Spirit, the whole reason for those things is for the purpose of me being changed, is for me to be grown, is for me to be prepared to be fruitful. One of the one of the main symbols in the New Testament of God refining us or changing us or growing us is that he prunes. And what is that? Pruning. That pruning is cutting off the dead branches, cutting off the old branches, cutting off the branches that are producing no fruit so that, the, so that branches might grow that do produce fruit. And let me tell you something, the vine dresser's busy, busy cutting the vines off. A lot of times those vines fall to the ground and then they keep on <clears throat> acting like they're still alive and living. There's been, there's many places, many places we call churches that haven't seen anything of any importance happen in their church in a long time. In fact, they're just caretakers, and I'm going to say this is ugly, but they're just caretakers of the dead. Jesus said when, when a man came to him and said, I'll, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. What Was Jesus insensitive? No, he wasn't insensitive. What he was saying was, if you're if the focus of what you're doing in the spiritual is on the dead, then there's no life there at all. You're just a caretaker. You're just a funeral home director. And a funeral home director or a caretaker of the dead, look, that's part of the body is celebrating those who've gone on to be with the Lord. But if that's the main function of what you're doing as a body of Christ, that is not that is, that has nothing to do with what Jesus Christ expected of the church. We are supposed to take care of the sick. We're supposed to take care of the widow. We're supposed to take care of the orphan. That needs to be a mainstay of what the church is doing regularly, all the time. That needs to be what we're, we're doing because that's God's mandate. But that being said, there ought to be a desire to see young people coming to Christ. There ought to be a desire to see young people being called to serve and become what God has made them to be in the midst of ministry and in the, in the midst of uh, 
in the times we live in. There should be regularly, there should be regularly young families coming in and young families learning how to raise their children and nurturing them and teaching them about God's word. There should be strong desire for God to be moving in the worship service. There should be life change going on. People should be struggling with things and people should be overcoming things. If that's not going on, then you're just caretaking the dead. And that, that, look, that's just not honoring to God. It's just not. And it's not the work of God. We need to be actively seeking the will and the movement of the Holy Spirit in God's, in God's church. And we need to be pleading for that to be taking place. Rebecca was barren. And Rebecca was barren for a reason. And God was going to be at work bringing about his purposes and his will. It says, so Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And notice, the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca, his wife, believed. Here's why a lot of times church people don't want to have a lot of things going on at the church. You know why? Because when you have a lot of things going on in the church, you have a lot of people taking leadership roles, a lot of people trying to figure out what God wants them to do in the body. When you have that kind of thing going on in the church, the children are going to struggle within her, and that's what happens. She's going to give birth to Jacob and Esau, and they're, and at conception, they're struggling within each other. And you know what? As a pastor, I have dealt with that for years and years and years. People struggling for control, struggling for influence, struggling. Really, they're just trying to struggle a lot of times, just figure out what God wants them to do in the body, and they can't seem to find it, and it causes them to be frustrated. Let me say this. There's nothing like a 13-year-old boy who is entering puberty and his body's three times bigger than it used to be and he's trying to figure out how to make that body operate the way it used to operate when he was a lot smaller and he's, his voice is changing and things are happening and he just doesn't know what to do. It just looks like a giant puppy with big old puppy paws trying to figure out how to run and how to be like the other. What happens in a church when you have young people and older people who are just now realizing that God has a purpose for them and they're trying to figure out what their purpose is. A lot of times they just got them big old feet and those long legs and they just don't know how to use them yet because they realize God's growing them, but they don't know how to operate in them and function in them in a way that is, well, that is dynamic and strong and uh, fluid and coordinated. They just, they struggle with that. And you know what? That's what leadership requires. Leadership requires us to help them. Leadership requires us to encourage them. Leadership requires us to say to you, if you're one of those people right now, and you're trying to figure out what God has for you, keep doing it. Look, that little, that 13, 14-year-old, he's never going to figure out how to handle that six-foot-two frame until he gets out there and starts using it. And let me tell you, he's going to do it badly. He's going to do it poorly. He's not going to do it right all the time. He's not, you're, look, if if you're going to serve God, you didn't just, you weren't born again with all the knowledge and all the wisdom to serve God. You were born again with all the gifting to serve God. You've been given the gifts and you've been given, you've been given God's will, which was set from the foundation of time. You've been given those things to serve God, but you've never done it before. You've never exercised those things. You've never acted upon those things. And let me tell you something. You're not going to be good at it at the start. And you know what I want you to do? Do it. 
Get to using your gifts. Get active in being who you're supposed to be in the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. Fall on your face and not don't do it well. Mess up. Learn. Grow. The only way you're ever going to get good at serving God, the only way you're going to ever figure out what your purpose is in the kingdom of God is that you just get to doing it. You get to doing it and get to doing it poorly so that you can get to doing it mediocre so that later on you can get to doing it fairly well and then maybe one day you'll be doing it pretty good and then before you know it you'll be doing it excellent and then before you know it you'll be teaching other people how to do it and before you know it you'll be making a huge impact on the kingdom of God but you know what you got to do right now you got to do it badly you got to do it poorly you got to do it you just got to do it so just do it I think that's a commercial for Nike in the kingdom of God when you've got spiritual gifts and when you've got a calling and when God has poured out his divine purpose in your life and he's gifted you and prepared you for it you got to get to serving and you got to get to serving with reckless abandon and you go with reckless abandon really yeah seriously quit being timid about God God's got great things for you run headlong toward him quit quit being worried about how it's all gonna work out or whether or not you're gonna be embarrassed who's breaking news right now this morning you're going to be embarrassed when you're serving God. You're gonna, you're not gonna do it well. You're gonna mess up something up. You're gonna, and you know what? God doesn't care. You didn't fail God. God already knew you weren't gonna do it. What God's happy about? You're actually trying. What God's actually excited about is you're trying to take on who you're supposed to be in His kingdom. That's what He cares about. That's what matters to Him. What matters to him is you serving him. And he's already been pleading. Jesus has been pleading that you wouldn't be barren, that you wouldn't be, that you wouldn't be, uh, that the church would be fruitful and the church would be growing and the church would be purposeful. And you're the object of that prayer. You're the object of that desire. And there's going to be a struggle within you. There's going to be a difficulty coming on. Don't worry about it. Can I say that? Don't worry about it. Just do it. Just start doing it. And before you know it, you will be great at it. And before you know it, you'll be powerful in it. And before you know it, tomorrow, not even, maybe not even in the next year or two, but at some point in time down the road, you will be fulfilling all that God has for you. But you can't start down that long road of learning how to be that and do that. You can't start it until you start it till you start it and you can't have it until you start it so do it God loves you and God has already he's already set aside a lot of time for you to learn how to be fully his kingdom work you just gotta trust that he's gonna love you and trust that he's gonna equip you and trust that he's gonna teach you and you gotta have great hope for the future you gotta Believe that God's power is at work in your life because he said it was. And then you got to act on that faith. And you got to be who you're supposed to be. And you will. Trust me. You're going to. If you don't trust me, trust God because he said you would. And ultimately, God's very best is going to happen for you. And you're going to go seasons where you're tired and seasons where you're frustrated. That's okay. Keep going. Keep moving. Before you know it, kingdom of God will be laid out before you and you'll be experiencing all of God's very best and you'll be having the wisdom to understand when the struggles are there that God's in the midst of them and so I pray that will be the case for you 
And not only do I pray that would be the case for you, I know it's part of God's promises and God's plan, so I'm expecting, anxiously expecting, which is the idea of hope. I'm placing my hope in you because I'm anxiously expecting to see God's power at work in you. And you are going to experience it. He promises it, and so shall it be. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.